imposing grandeur, the quality or state of being impressive or awesome. The purpose of studying theology and reading books, it's it's not to gain our own intellect, but rather it is to bring us to Him. Because when you see how glorious and how holy and how majestic our Creator is, the more you worship Him. He is our imposing grandeur. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Imposing Granger Radio. It's me, Avery, and I'm here with my two lovely ladies, Annie and Alexa. Ladies, hey, hey. <laughs> tell What's me, up? tell me the best part of your day today. It can be anything <laughs> from very tiny. <laughs> Alexa, I know you have a lot of work going on right now. I went. I'm. Pr- I'm sure you wouldn't say it's been like a day with a ton of great things in it, but it can literally be anything. It's okay. God's grace abounds, even in the turmoil. (laughs) Um, So I guess this is kind of like, I mean, it is great, but you're going to have to bear with me. The greatness comes at the end of the story. Um, (laughs) I was making my tea and I had this huge like cup of water and I was carrying my laptop, my phone, a speaker, my tea and my water, trying to open up a door to go downstairs to my room. And my tea spills a little and gets all like on my laptop and I'm like, oh, it's okay. And then I remember what we've been talking about in our podcast. And I'm like, my circumstance does not equate or negate from God's faithfulness. <laughs> like literally, that was my first thought. I'm like, it's okay. God is still good. God is still faithful. And then I'm walking over to the counter and as I'm walking over there, my tall glass of water falls from my hand and splatters all over the floor. And my tea goes everywhere. But... It was such a nice moment to practice what we've been preaching this whole time. Like, God is still good. And so I cleaned up the mess and I walked away from it. And I was like, you know what? If that was what it took for me to remember that the Lord is still good today and the Lord is still faithful, then it's what it takes, you know? So might not sound like a great thing. <laughs> That's the best part of my day. <laughs> but <laughs> that just says how well my day is going. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, that was I have been reading me. a lot. Yes, I have been reading a lot today. Master's work is is definitely working me, but it's good. It's good. Annie, what about you? Uh, well, mine is not as in depth. I mean, I guess I could pull out some lessons from it, but I had some sushi and read at the library next to a person that breathed very loudly. Um, oh, no. That was about it. <laughs> Take a nice, nice nap. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Avery, what about you? Um, I think today mine is just settling back in. We've been out of town for um, the funeral of my husband's grandmother. And so it's been a really hard week, uh, but it was really good to be with family. But we're thankful to be back home and just settling in. So I think like getting on my feet again today was was a nice morning. So, yeah. Mm. Good. Um, all right. So today we were kicking off our few weeks of talking about the quote unquote omnis. And today we're covering the word omnipotent or God's omnipotence or omnipotent. However you want to pronounce <laughs> it on Google, it says omnipotent is the correct pronunciation. So that's what we're going to call it today. Um, so can y'all pull out all of your definitions 
all of your scriptures <laughs> for this and tell us what um what does it mean for God to be omnipotent or what does God's omnipotence mean? Well, let me first tell you what it does not mean because I actually came across this on Instagram today and you know when you're scrolling and you just kind of come across heresy? <laughs> that <Yeah>. happened today. <laughs> so I was I was scrolling on uh, social media and I saw this quote and it said, pray so big and so often that when God meets you at heaven's gate, he says with a smile, kid, you've kept me very busy. So, okay. In the beginning of reading that quote, I was like, yes, pray so big. Like William Carey, the missionary in India literally said, pray for great things, expect great things. Like, yes, pray and pray often do that too. But for God to say, like, I'm sorry, this is, this is why I emphasize it almost every episode. God is not like us. God does not get busy with things. So for us to be like, oh, I, I want to pray so hard that I keep God busy. It's like, no, like you can't. He's all powerful. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean for God to be all powerful? So I think it's like a nice opening up of like seeing how an improper view of his omnipotence saturates into our Western religion, like culture. Yeah, thanks, Alexa, for addressing that because it's important that we don't see God's characteristics through a selfish point of view, like seeing God's omnipotence through us. Like we are the ones that make him powerful. Like regardless of us, God will be powerful. And uh, so I was unable to actually find the word omnipotent in scripture, but I found words describing the same thing, such as almighty in Revelation 19.6 and power in Ephesians 1.19. And um, so first with almighty, it says uh, the Greek meaning of that word is he who holds sway over all things, the ruler of all. And then when Ephesians talks about God's power. It means strength, power, ability, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth power for performing miracles, moral power and excellence of soul, power of riches, resources, and armies. And then um, in Genesis 1 and John 1, we know that God is the creator of all things from this power. And Job 42 verses one through two says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So this uh, characteristic has been interesting to find the definition of, because I feel like we've really had to like pull from different parts of scripture and words that mean omnipotent, but it's not necessarily spelled out that God is omnipotent, which I could be wrong. Like I don't know all of scripture, like the back of my hand. So but that's what I found. Um, and then just seeing like Jesus, stories of Jesus, like throughout the New Testament of him casting out demons and healing people, seeing that that power only comes from somebody that can give that power, which is God. Hmm. Yeah, going off of the whole power aspect of this word um, in the Baker's Encyclopedia for the Bible, they define omnipotence as God's unlimited authority to bring into existence or cause to happen whatsoever he wills. So he possesses all power and all power given to us, the authorities around us, and even Satan himself has been delegated by God. And like Annie was saying, the word omnipotence is generally translated as the almighty. And it's actually used 56 times in scripture is what I saw. 
Um, and at all of those times in which it is used, it's in reference to God. And so his power is displayed in many ways throughout the entire um, meta narrative of scripture. But we see it, like Annie said in Genesis 1 1, maintaining in existence all that he has created. Um, and we also see that in Colossians 1 um, for him, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and in- invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Yeah, that was a really good definition. I think both of y'all summed it up really well. And I love the scripture you pulled for that too, to back up just y'all's thoughts on that um, word. Um, Definitely one thing that I really loved um, kind of looking into a little bit more was um, Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Just the idea that the universe is upheld by God's own word, for in his own word, there's power. That is just like so amazing to me to think of his power, him being so powerful that his word is literally what upholds the universe. And we see that in Psalm 33, 9 as well, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. That we serve a God that can literally speak a word and things happen, things change, you know, he can create the universe by his, his word is just amazing. Um, so that is one thing that I was really mind blown by. Um, as I was researching this, I also found really cool quote by Jonathan Edwards. I think he has a sermon or a book called God is everywhere present, which we'll also be talking about eventually in the coming weeks, the presentness of God, but it just shows that these words all work together really well. Um, And he says, I won't read it all because it's pretty long, but he says, God's preservation of the world is nothing but a continued act of creation. We read that God created all things by the word of his power, and we read that he upholds all things by the word of his power, as we read in Hebrews 1.3. As it is continual operation of God to uphold things in being, so it is the divine operation that keeps them in action. Whenever a body moves or a spirit thinks or wills, It is infinite power and wisdom that assists it. God has established the laws of nature and he maintains them by his constant influence with respect to ourselves. It is because God is is in us that our blood runs, our pulse beats, our lungs play, our food digests, and our organs of sense perform their operation. And then there's just a few more sentences. So when we look at the sun, moon, and stars above, or look upon the earth or things below, if we look as much as upon the stones or under them, we see infinite power now in exercise at that place. If we look upon ourselves and see our hands or feet, these members have an existence now because God is there, and by an act of infinite power upholds them. So God is not only everywhere, but he is everywhere working. Hmm. Yes, Avery, even in you reading that quote, it was very, it kind of brought this whole thing full circle in realizing that, like Annie said, it is not about us. We are not the prized possession. We are not the person in which um, the supremacy belongs to, but rather it is God. And um, there's this huge contrast within this entire topic of God's infinite power versus our finite power. Not to mention that any power that we have is from God in the first place, but we as humans may desire to do things, but lack strength. So. I may want to bench press 1,500 pounds. I mean, why not, right? (laughs) Um, Not really. But I quite literally lack the strength, both literally and non. However, we do not have all the means necessary to carry out a desire that we may have. 
God, however, lacks nothing and sets out to do all that he accomplishes. In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, Ah, Lord, God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So I think just keeping in the back of our minds, like this topic is huge and it should be an imposing grandeur topic, right? It's very big thinking of somebody who has all the infinite power in the world that it should stir within us a respected fear in our hearts, Um, but fear and admiration for God even more knowing that all the power in the world is delegated by him because he in and of his essence is powerful. He is all powerful. Yeah, and uh, writing off the last comment you made, Alexa, just with the election coming up and everything, I know a lot of people are fearful of, well, if the Democrats get power or the Republicans have power, that this country is going to go into ruins. And there's a lot of, or if the police have power or whatever, there's a lot of fear out there right now um, about the wrong type of person getting power, but just remembering that all power comes from God. And um, he's a good God that holds infinite power. And so that's something to remember that we can draw comfort for, which I suppose we'll talk about a little later in the podcast about how God's power um, can comfort the believer. But that was just something that came to my mind when you were talking about we have finite power, but God has infinite power. That was good. Yeah, I love that, Annie. And that kind of goes into my last point before we move on to our next question. Um, I was listening to a Spurgeon um, sermon that obviously he wasn't reading. Someone else was reading for him. But um, his main verse that he kind of wrote the sermon after was Nahum 1.3. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. And so this was just kind of reminding me that when you think of something really powerful, at least in my mind, it's easy to think of just like scary, kind of like, like we've been seeing Hurricane Laura came and kind of destroyed Louisiana this week. Um, We can think of a powerful storm as something just like plows through with kind of like no regard for the people that are involved or for whatever situation it is. But also we have a God that is gracious and good and slow to anger. And he balances that great power that he has with also his self-control and his ability to be slow to anger, faithful, as we talked about last week and so many other things. And so kind of moving into our next question, something that I think people get hung up on and struggle to work through those that don't understand really or have a right view of who God is. Why, if God is omnipotent, and we do know that he is a loving, kind God, why does he not just end all evil and pain if we know he's powerful enough to do it? So this is, the, this is a theological term for everyone listening. It is the issue of theodicy. So the term theodicy involves the combining of two Greek words, the word for God, theos, and the word for justification, dikaios. Not sure I pronounced that right. Probably didn't. Um, But theodicy is just an attempt to justify God for the existence of evil. And so well-educated theologians have created countless of theodicies trying to figure out um, how to recompense God and evil. But we must be careful in our research endeavors because there is this temptation for us to not only discredit God's sovereignty, 
But we also have a tendency as humans of answering this question in regards to God's character. So like, for instance, saying, okay, because evil exists, maybe God isn't as gracious as I thought he was. Or, quote, a loving God would not allow this to happen to me. Um, And so this is something that we must be careful of. And notable speaker and theologian Vodi Bauckham has an incredible six-minute video of him coming coming into contact with a philosophy student proposing this question from the grappling of God's character approach. So the philosophy student, this is how it kind of sets out. Philosophy student begins to talk to him in his philosophical lingo, and he says, I just want to ask you, if you believe in a God that is omnipotent and omnibenevolent, then how do you reconcile the issue of theodicy? And Vodi's like, you're a philosophy major, right? <laughs> he's like, yeah, how'd you know? And he's like, because you would have just asked me if God's so powerful and so good, why does bad stuff happen? And so, but I was going to read you what Vodi says in his response, but I want to go ahead and just play a portion of the clip because it is probably one of my favorite clips ever. And if you aren't sitting down right now, you may want to pull up a chair because <laughs> Vodi totally hits this out of the park. So I'm just going to go ahead and play a short clip. This is Vodi's response to the philosophy student in him asking him, if God is so good and so powerful, then why does evil still exist? So hopefully this can give us some clarity. You're not asking the question properly. What do you mean ask the question properly? It's my question. You can't tell me how to ask my question. I will answer your question when you ask it properly. How do I ask it properly? Here's how you ask that question properly. You look me in my eyes and you ask me this. How on earth can a holy and righteous God know what I did and thought and said on yesterday and not kill me in my sleep last night? You ask it that way and we can talk. But until you ask the question that way, you don't understand the issue. Until you ask the question that way, you believe the problem is out there. Until you ask the question that way, you believe that there are somehow some individuals who in and of themselves deserve something other than the wrath of Almighty God. Until you ask me the question that way, until you flip the script and ask the question this way and say, why is it that we are here today? Why has he not consumed and devoured each and every one of us? Why? Why, oh God? Does your judgment and your wrath tarry? When you ask it that way, you understand the issue. When you ask it the other way, you believe in the supremacy of man. How dare God not employ his power on behalf of almighty man? You flip the question around, you believe in the supremacy of Christ. How dare I steal his heir? Because the last breath I took, I borrowed it from him. Isn't that just chilling? Yeah. (laughs) Like, have you guys listened to that before? I've never heard that section of it. But that's like, stops you in your tracks, man. Oh my goodness. So good. Every time I see it on my Facebook timeline, I have to just watch all six minutes of it. Because it is so good. It really puts, puts it in perspective, doesn't it? And it really helps set the tone for this entire discussion. So um, why does he allow evil and pain in the first place? Well, let's get this right. He created the Garden of Eden to be absolutely perfect. 
all was good. Man rebelled against God, and yet he still allows us to live. Every day we rebel against him, and yet he, with his omnipotent power, does not kill us after the first lie we told. I mean, I'm reading the Old Testament right now for one of my master's classes, and there is just, I mean, if you've read the Old Testament, you know, the cycle of disobedience. I think it really just puts into perspective, like the God that we serve, like Avery, you were saying, like, yes, he's all powerful, but he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's a really important point. I think that we should all come to some terms with, like, it's really, it's heavy to think through, but it's so important. And another angle of that is a quote from R.C. Sproul. And he says, since God is both omnipotent and good, we must conclude that his omnipotence and goodness, there must be a place for the existence of evil. Though he does not do evil and does not create evil, he does ordain that evil exists. Evil always and ever serves the ultimate best interests of God himself. Everything God does is for his glory. And we know that it's also for our good if we are in Christ. And so you see in Genesis 50, 20, as Joseph talking to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And then um, Romans 9 talks about the potter and the clay. God created us. Shall he not do with us as he wills? And that means maybe allowing us to endure the work of evil. And then um, R.C. Sproul concludes by saying his unwillingness to stop evil only proves that our creator deems it good to permit evil at times. And Mm. if that's really hard for you to hear and understand, maybe you've experienced a special kind of evil that most people don't. um, Pray through that. Talk to your pastors about it. Read the Bible because that is not it can be difficult to work through and but there the lord can bring you peace he gives the peace that surpasses all understanding so um don't be scared to wrestle with this question a little bit more but it is important that you start off asking these questions with the right mindset as alexa pointed out that was a really beautiful response both of you guys to this question i think it's a multi-layered question that we could literally have one podcast about. So if there's further questions on this and you guys want to write to us and ask us more, we would be happy to get back to you if there's something we don't cover um, because we do understand that this is a question that many people wrestle with. This is a question I've wrestled with at times. And so it's okay, like Annie said, to ask these questions. Um, And another, I found a list that um, Desiring God had put out um, that really helped me with finding scripture on um, how God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And the, when the Bible says all things, it means all things as in the fall of the sparrows in Matthew 10, 29, the rolling of dice, Proverbs 16, 33, the slaughter of his people in Psalm 44, 11, the decision of kings, Proverbs 21, 1, the failing of sight, Exodus 4, 11, the sickness of children, 2 Samuel 12, 15, the loss and gain of money, 1 Samuel 2.7, the suffering of saints, 1 Peter 4.19, the completion of travel plans, James 4.15, the persecution of Christians, Hebrews 12.4-7, the repentance of souls, 2, Samuel, 2 Timothy 10.25, the gift of faith, Philippians 1.29, the pursuit of holiness, Philippians 3.12-13, the growth of believers, as we see in Hebrews 6.3, the giving of life and the taking and death, 1 Samuel 2.6, and the crucifixion of his son, Acts 4.27-28, through 28, 
Um, and this also comes from John Piper's, I believe, book, Why Do I Not Say God Did Not Cause This Calamity, But He Can Use It for Good. And so to add on to what both of y'all said, um, and just a reminder that God can still use all pain, evil, and suffering for our good and his glory. And something that I did, I listened to an Alyssa Childers podcast on um, this topic, and I believe his name was Clay Jones. Um, He wrote a book on the problem of evil, and he said in this podcast that eternity will dwarf our suffering here to insignificance. Our suffering here is close to zero in comparison to eternity. And that just like stopped me in my tracks because I had never thought of it that way. It's how, yes, we never are Christians that negate the fact that there's suffering and there's awful pain on this earth and there's injustices and there's things that should get us riled up and get us angry in a righteous way because we know it is sin and we know that we love sin and God hates it. But also our eternity and hope that we have in Christ far outweighs any suffering, evil, and pain that exists now. Mm. Yeah, that was really good. I think you alluded to it. Um, One of the reasons why I love the Bible so much is that it is incredibly honest. So it doesn't try to mask the fact that evil does exist and it is present. Um, And believe it or not, some religions uh, don't even acknowledge the existence of evil. So that's definitely something that I have loved that the Bible is um, so open about it. I mean, in Romans 1, it talks about how creation itself groans in awaiting its final redemption. Um, And so with all this talk about evil um, and how God allows it to happen, I think we must know that evil is not ultimate. The Bible never downplays the reality and horror of evil, but it also is very clear that evil has no power above or equal to God. And being followers of Christ, we have the last book of the Bible. We know how this is going to end with God's people in triumph over evil. Um, we also see in scripture a risen redeemer who proves his omnipotence by triumphing over the powers of sin and death, and he will make all things new. So yes, although there is evil in this world, we must remember as believers, this world is not our home. Like, let's not get comfortable. Like, God is omnipotent. We live in a fallen world because of sin. It is not because of God. (laughs) Like, we need to have that thought ingrained in our mind. Um, And evil is not ultimate. We will be reigning victorious with Christ in the end times. Um, And he has already defeated death. We serve a God who defeats sin that we struggle with every single day. Yeah, that was such a good reminder, Alexa. Thank you for that. And also... I wanted to clarify, um, we have talked about God's justice in another podcast if you want to go back and listen. But another reason and, um, I guess, perspective we should have on the wickedness of man is also understanding that God is, although good, he is also a just God and a just judge has to condemn the wicked. He cannot acquit acquit the wicked. So naturally, there's going to be punishment for sin, and that is something that we have to keep in mind as believers and unbelievers alike, that if we are unbelievers, we're not in Christ. Our sin and the wickedness that we are involved in, evilness we're involved in, that should be something that is terrifying to us and something that should make us shake in our boots because God's power is something to fear as unbelievers. And um, if you guys don't have anything else to add to um, this, just a section on evil, pain, suffering, why God allows it, where it came from in the first place, I would love to kind of move on to the next section of 
after talking about all this truth about God's power and omnipotence, what does God's omnipotence mean for the Christian and non-Christian? Um, so a few scriptures came to mind when just thinking about God's omnipotence. This is for the Christian specifically. Um, I thought of Psalm 46. It's uh, God is our refuge, our strength, and ever-present help in times of trouble. And um, only an all-powerful God can be that source of strength and refuge to people who need him. But ultimately, in Romans 1, 16 through 17, we know God has the power for those unto salvation, that he has the power to save us from our wickedness and allow us to spend eternity with him. But alternatively, ultimately, for the unbeliever, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And Revelation outlines hell. Many other places in scriptures outline hell. And that is the ultimate um, outpouring of God's power through his wrath upon those who are not in Christ, as Avery alluded to. So, yeah, that was just some stuff that I found in scripture that I thought outlined God's omnipotence for Christians and non-Christians. So considering that, this is my impromptu question. What is the difference between a healthy fear of God versus being scared of God's power as a believer? I'm not talking about unbelievers because we do know that we should fear God's wrath and judgment if we are not in Christ. But what does a healthy fear of God look like? Hmm, Avery, I like this question. Um, So it might be a little hard to relate to since we don't have kings in this country, but I always think of um, if you were to go picture yourself going before a king and you know your status, you're just this little peasant, but the king has already announced you like clean and you can come into his courtroom and speak with him. You're not fearful that he's going to kill you because he's already said that you're good. Like, um, I know you're a peasant, but like in my sight, you can come talk to me. But there's still that uh, respect. And it's not just the kind of casual respect you have for a teacher or a policeman. It's the respect for somebody that's all powerful. And obviously we respect imperfectly. But I just think in the sense like you wouldn't waddle into this courtroom knowing the king that you are right with the king, but you would just be and be like, hey, what's up? Like, how are you? And really flip it and disrespectful. And no, you would still enter with a sense of awe and like just, I guess, respect. I can't think of another word to describe it other than that. So that's just like a picture that I always think of in my mind when I talk about like fear of the Lord. Maybe Alexa can sum it up a little better. I really enjoyed that example, though. Like, I'm a very visual learner, and so analogies like that are really helpful. And I'm sure that people listening are the same way, especially with a podcast. Like, imagining things are just a lot better. In observing this question, I think we need to view his power in perfect unison with his other attributes. So he does whatever he wills. Could you imagine if he was all-powerful and not just? If he was all-powerful and not holy, if he was all-powerful and not gracious, that is a scary thought. That is enough to make you like not want to sleep ever. Um, but knowing these things, we as believers can rejoice in his omnipotence. So like all the characteristics that we've gone through thus far, 
Um, and of course, we should not expect our finite minds to be able to comprehend God's infinite power. This is simply outside the bounds of understanding for us to grapple with. And we don't know, and praise God, we're not required to know why certain things happen or continue, but we can and are rather commanded to live by faith and resting in his eternal sovereign plan, knowing that his essence, like we've been talking about, is perfect, gracious, just, holy, and he is faithful, like we talked about last week, to abide by his word and character. So to the person who is terrified of Christ, focus on how that attribute of him being all-powerful beautifully intertwines with his other attributes. And the more you do that, the more biblical one it becomes, <laughs> because that's how it is in reality. He's not just all powerful, but he is all powerful and loving, all powerful and holy and just and gracious. Wow, gracious. Um, so considering that and then having a more clearer view of who he is. I like that, Alexa. Yeah, that was really good. And adding another impromptu question in there. Obviously, we know scripture is a great place to have a better view of a right view, I should say, of who God is and all his attributes. What are some ways that help you guys um, maybe take some anxiety you might have or some fear um, that's maybe unhealthy when when viewing God? What helps with your and your lives um, aside from being in scripture? What helps with bringing your view back to a more biblical, godly view of who God is and his power versus his graciousness, faithfulness, all of those things. Mm. I mean, imposing grandeur, we emphasize the fact that his nature screams about it. You know, like when you're thinking of space, there's that, whoa, you are so much more powerful than I am. So go outside, <laughs> like go hike a mountain, um, put yourself in those situations to where you are forced to behold his glory in such a way, but also too, in regard to what stirs your faith for Christ, Matt Chandler, I believe one time said, find out what draws you closer to Christ and then saturate your life in that. And so for me personally, I've taken time out to write an actual list, <laughs> a written list of things that I have found draw me closer to Christ and increase my love for him. And so being intentional about saturating my lives with them. So for instance, two things on that list is one, testimonials from other believers. Um, so my faith in God is increased. My love for him is increased whenever I hear how he's working all of his attributes in somebody else's life. Um, and then also live music. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're listening and you can resonate with this, but live music makes me just fall more in love with Christ. And I think it's because it points me to heaven, knowing that whatever beautiful musical piece I'm listening to in that very moment, God is the author of that music. And if this is played by a fallible human being, how much more beautiful is it going to sound in heaven? So things like that, um, be intentional. Like your relationship with Christ is not passive. Yes, he is gracious and he redeems, but also we're called to be obedient. And why not follow him? Like, we're called to follow him, commanded to follow him. But in him is, in Psalm 16 says, fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Why not chase after that? So being intentional about that, saturating your life in that, that's what I would say. It's funny because I would agree 100% about the nature thing. I was literally thinking about that. I was like, well, imposing grandeur. That's like the whole premise <laughs> of our 
radio show, but uh, we're just so granola. (laughs) (laughs) But like a couple of weeks ago, I was at the beach and I was just alone standing out in front of the ocean and you can't even see the end. You can't see the beginning and just feeling so finite compared to the ocean and then remembering, but somebody greater than the ocean created it, which is Mm. God. And, uh, this is a little bit strange, but but I think of God's law. I am really encouraged by um, in my faith and who He is because I remember for somebody to create these laws, these moral absolutes, has to be a power that's greater to or equal to these laws to sustain them and demand that we follow them. And so I'm always thinking about that, just how that's why we're obligated to obey Christ because he's greater than these laws that he is uh, Mm -hmm. instilling. And lastly, just um, obviously reading his word, but sharing his word with others that I'm, that are in my life, getting to share the gospel with them. And every time, even if they reject it or they're crying because they're so excited to finally hear the good news, it just, it brings me a peace in my heart. Like, this is what I believe. This is the truth. And I am saved. And just wanting that person to feel that way and um, for that to be the reality in their life as well. But so that was a good question, Avery. Mm-hmm. Well, y'all's answers were beautiful and super encouraging to me. So thank you for sharing. And also reminded me of just all talking about the nature side of understanding God's power is Romans 120 for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And so we see here that we are with no excuse or we cannot complain that God has left insufficient evidence of his existence and character. The fault is with those who reject the evidence. So if you're listening and you're not a believer, if you feel like you are in a place where you really are fearing God because you don't know if you truly are his or you have rejected the evidence of God's power in the past, I hope that you leave feeling like there is good news, that there is redemption in our all-powerful God, that we do serve a God that gave us a gift of his son on the cross to be that redemption for our sin. So I hope that you will leave not feeling like, wow, there's no hope for me but that there is so much hope and so much good news for those that do not know the Lord and that you're never too far gone for the Lord to redeem you. So I hope that you are encouraged by that. And if you want to hear more about that and you want to talk with us more about that, please do not hesitate to reach out, ask questions, or maybe reach out to someone around you that is a believer and ask those tough questions. I know that they would love to speak with you. All right, everybody, time for our IG hot seat. Um, So I have thought through a few different questions, but I've landed on this one, which is, if you guys had all the time in the world right now and unlimited gas funds for your car, where would you drive in the U.S.? You can't go outside the U.S. That's a great question. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) It has to be right now. Consider all things, including right now, COVID restrictions mm-hmm. and the weather, the season, all of that. Canada, going no, to Canada. You can't go outside of the U.S. <laughs> Is it not a part of the U.S.? Oh Canada no, it's not. <laughs> you better edit that out. That is shameful. <laughs> I'm so bad at geography. It's um, on the same landmass <laughs> as the U.S., but it's not in the U.S. 
I don't know, man. I need to pull up like a diagram of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Is Hawaii? To- oh, I can't drive to Hawaii. <laughs> Can you drive underwater? Drive your car over water? <laughs> It'd be a long drive. Yeah, I'll, I'll drive to the shore and then break out my little inflatable tube. <laughs> Unfortunately, hey. everywhere on the West Clo- Coast in all major cities are up in flames. So that's true. Oh, okay. Avery's question said um, currently. So yeah. if you say you want to go to like Chicago, everyone's going to be like, why? <laughs> Alexa, all you right, could I'll drive say- through Canada and drive to Alaska that way. Drive to Alaska? Yeah, you can go through yeah. Canada to go to Alaska. Sure, I'll go to I'll go to Alaska. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> just take me away from here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, anywhere that's cold. Like, I'm so... This humid weather, y'all. Alaska's it a is. choice, then. Okay, yeah. take me away, Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, where would you What go? about y'all? Oh, man. I think I'd probably go to, like, up north to, like, Maine. Oh, um, good answer. Okay, well, go together. I was gonna go, go either together. or to the beaches in like New Jersey, like a private beach, so I could just go mm-hmm. sit with a sweater on and read. Go to the Hamptons, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'll be. <laughs> Live that caviar life. <laughs> no, what about you, Avery? I would go. I definitely Maine was my first thought because I've never gone that far up the East Coast. And I think it would just be really cool to experience an actual fall, like when it's supposed to be fall time, fall time versus here where it's like you don't feel fall weather until like the end of November. So mm. y'all both y'all both need to go to the Adirondacks in New York. Seriously, Ooh, yes. like living there uh, for a year. Now. But it's not snowing right now. It's like August. Oh, that would be true. a good spot to go. <laughs> that would be a good. Yes, it's beautiful. I think somewhere just upstate the East Coast because I don't want to go to the yeah. West Coast currently. So, yeah, true, true. Thank you guys for your answers. Those are good ones. Definitely, we'll have Thank to plan you. our next road trip to go somewhere. <laughs> yes. <West>. Um. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today as we talked through a snippet of God's omnipotence and what that means. Join us next week as we talk about God's omnipresence, and we appreciate y'all listening. We hope y'all have an awesome week. Bye.